Now it's time for Jamie Dupree, the most connected man in D.C. on the Sean Hannity Show. All right, he's the most connected man in Washington, D.C., where there is a flurry of activity going on as it relates to the race to replace John Boehner when he steps down. We had meetings last night. Jim Jordan of the House Freedom Caucus will join us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but Jamie is here to give us a little preview and some insight into what's going on there. From what I gather, the Freedom Caucus has made a decision that they will unite and back only one candidate. If it's not Kevin McCarthy, that means that th- th- there's going to be some turmoil in D.C. come the 29th. You are correct. And uh, in public, at least, Jordan is refusing to say in interviews. We cornered him a couple of times today to ask, and he wouldn't say exactly, and neither would others, frankly. In fact, I think every, as I'm thinking off the top of my head, I probably interviewed about 12 or 15 different people that I would consider to be, you know, GOP conservatives. And none of them, I don't think not one of them, would say what they were going to do tomorrow uh, in that vote. Tomorrow's vote, the Thursday vote, is just of the Republicans. It's to get a nominee. All you got to do is win a majority in that. And I think pretty much everybody that I've spoken to today thinks that Kevin McCarthy will have a majority tomorrow. The big issue is what happens after that. There are a lot of people here who think McCarthy will never get to 218. My favorite question today for Republicans, and I didn't really get any answer from any of them, uh, was, okay, do you think the next speaker is Kevin McCarthy, Jason Chaffetz, Dan Webster, or someone else? Jordan gave me a big smile and said, I don't know, and uh, a bunch of other people said they didn't know, but I do think it's a legit uh, kind of thing to ask right now because if, if, if the the people who don't like Boehner and by the same kind of argument don't like McCarthy are going to stop McCarthy, then what's the next step? I'm not sure Jason Chaffetz is that person. I think there's growing anxiety among some conservatives about Chaffetz simply because of that Mark Meadows incident. And there, I, I talked to a few guys today who say they will not get over that uh, because they think he was acting you know, on it, Boehner's it's, behalf. It's funny. I have spoken to many members, and it's about split in half. Yeah. And half, and of, that, the, and half of them are saying that... that it, that's over and that Meadows is over it and the other half saying yeah I think there's still an issue there yeah and and I heard that from a couple of people today now Dan Webster uh, Tom Massey who's one of his biggest proponents uh, the more libertarian Republican from Kentucky told me today that he thinks that Webster picked up some support last night but even among his fellow Floridians it doesn't sound like they think Webster sort of has the the mojo and so that I think in in terms of Thursday's vote leaves us with McCarthy most likely winning and Chaffetz being number two I mean you never know when this is a, a secret ballot kind of thing and anything can happen but there are too many people today that I stopped him real quick and said who are you voting for tomorrow McCarthy was the answer and it just seems to me that he probably has a lock on at I, least I a think, majority I think he has a lock on a majority I think both of our predictions under 200 will come into fruition. Oh, no, I don't even think he'll get close to 200 tomorrow, and I don't no. think that's really a, a worrisome sign, because I think there'll be a number of people that will use it as an opportunity to cast a protest vote. The question is, how many of those people who don't vote for McCarthy will just get in line and say, okay, he's the party's nominee, I'm going to vote for him, and how many people well, will I, say I actually they think won't. the question's bigger. I think it all is going to come down on the Freedom Caucus. I think if they unite as a team together, there's about 40 members there, although a couple have already pledged to McCarthy, one pledged to Webster, so I think that knocks four of them out of yep. of uh, being united as a team, but they will ultimately decide whether or not McCarthy gets it. So I would assume that there's going to be a lot of lobbying by McCarthy of all of these Freedom Caucus members. Sure. I think one problem for conservatives that I really noted today was uh, how many different voices and opinions they are. It's like a lot of one-man parties out there. 
they're not behind uh, they're not united behind one candidate they don't really have an answer when you ask them okay if not McCarthy then who uh, they're not in agreement on what exactly needs to change they're not really on the same page about what needs to be different moving forward other than quote unquote things need to change and that kind of amorphous argument it's sort of like saying I'm for tax reform it sounds great but then everybody can have different I ideas totally agree with you, when but you get down to the details the only way this would work for them the anti-McCarthy voices there is if they unite and that's what Jim Jordan is saying that they're going to unite there's power in those numbers and at that point I think you're also right in, in speculating that there might be another candidate that eventually has to emerge because after tomorrow's vote assuming that you're right and I'm right and he's going to have way under 200 votes then I've got to imagine that there's going to be some horse trading and lobbying and and back and forth between all of the candidates and then ultimately if neither one of the three can get enough votes, then there's going to have to be another person involved. Well, you know, and I look at this, too, that this is a job that rarely comes open in this kind of fashion. I mean, this is a distinct opportunity for a number of Republicans, whether you are more senior or you can be less senior and just somebody who is out there, uh, you know, and, and who wants to move up and grab the leadership ring. I, I'm really intrigued by the number of people who have not gotten into this race, who have sidestepped it. Now, but you uh, and I is, both know why. You know why they don't want to get in? You're talking about Paul Ryan and other senior members that have been there for a while. I can tell you why. They don't want any part of this nonsense because it's a pain in the, you know what, to be Speaker of the House. Yeah, well, you know what? It's a pain to be the boss, but there's not many opportunities you're to right. be the boss. You're right. And in this kind of situation, I, I look at it that if you're here and you're not thinking about running the show, what are you doing here? I think that's a great point, although I think there are valid excuses. For example, Paul Ryan, he has a young family. He doesn't have time to be Speaker of the House, but a big part of the job of Speaker is flying all over the country for individual members and, and doing these chicken, rubber chicken dinner speeches and raising money for them. Yeah, and sometimes... Um, Which, by the way, I, suited Boehner well, because he gets you know a free glass of wine at every stop. I, I wrote down this quote a number of years ago from, it was uh, during a World Cup uh, telecast, I think in 2010, and the announcer said... In sport as in life, it is all about seizing the moment. The moment is here for somebody if there is gridlock on the Kevin McCarthy nomination to become right, speaker. Name, give me some other names besides. Oh, Ryan. I don't know. I just think I think absolutely there should be 247 guys thinking about it. Not every one of them would be eligible in terms of having a chance, but that there should be more than just three people in the race. I think, that's and a, I'm not faulting Republicans or anything. I'm just saying that it's time for some people to step up. And yeah, it might be a pain to be the Speaker of the House, but these openings only come. I mean, like this, it's rare to get a speaker to leave in the middle of a term. You know, it would it, be fascinating because th you don't have to be a member of the House to be speaker. Now, I, I noticed in the news today that Ted Cruz has been huddling a lot with members of the House and especially the Freedom Caucus. It would be interesting. You know, I, I, for example, one name I heard bannered about was bring Newt Gingrich back. Now, um, do I think that's going to happen? No, no. but but it, I it, know 53 Republicans in the Senate who would love to ship Ted Cruz over to the House. I, I know 53 of them, too. But you know what? That's not going to happen either. No, He's it's not, not going to happen. Uh, um, I don't think, you know, it is true that uh, the House of Representatives could appoint somebody who is not a member to be the Speaker. I, I just don't think that's going to happen here, which again maybe raises... Maybe I'll submit your name, Jamie Dupree. You yeah, can... I don't want... I, well, I, you know, Justin Amash today was saying something interesting. This is another example of how varied the opinions are and what needs to be done. Uh, Amash, a very libertarian kind of guy, he says that the Speaker should be someone who is just interested in making things work. 
getting the process done and not being a political person. He argues that the founders did not intend for the Speaker of the House to be a political person, that it was to be a person who would just sort of govern and uh, and, and help the House do its business. Now, I don't think that's going to change, but that's an example of how, you know, some of these Republicans are not even on the same page when it comes to what do they want out of this opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, one thing I will say, I think we are, might be on to something. I think we should watch very closely that if these three candidates falter and neither of uh, none of them can get to 218, I think at that point, you know, Katie barred the door. We don't know who's going to end up get, becoming speaker, and it could be an outsider. All right, let me move on to Hillary. Look, in my view, we're watching a total collapse. Later on, we have computer experts that are going to be on. She has a, the firm that backed up her server uh, might still have emails on a cloud. This follows yesterday's story that, in fact... The, the group that she had hired was asked to delete a lot of the emails, and there was an internal debate about whether they were breaking the law because that request from somebody in the Clinton camp came after Platts River Network. That came after the congressional subpoena of those emails. Uh, the State Department told Hillary to search for more emails. Um, she's th searching for a theme for her candidacy, and, and she's vacillating between being angry and warm and, and funny and happy and... I mean, there's a lot of collapse going on here. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm collapse. I think is too harsh a word, but there's still a lot of stuff out there for her. And certainly, when we've talked about the emails and talked about the opportunity for investigators to find out what was deleted and what was not. Uh, if there uh, is more information there from this other group, this other IT group, uh, you know, certainly the FBI and lawmakers in Congress are going to have a lot of questions for what they have and what they have on file. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think what we've seen politically is the words of Kevin McCarthy have given Democrats and Hillary Clinton a lot to lean on in recent days, and they've been very well, aggressive that, in going the, after the GOP about that. They even put a resolution, or they tried to, on the floor of the House today to disband the Benghazi committee. The Republicans rejected well, that. Well, Trey Gowdy came out vote. very forcefully and said that Kevin McCarthy was wrong. I think that they're throwing a Hail Mary pass with this, and they're leading Oh, I didn't one say statement. that it was going to work. I'm just saying that it, had, it certainly has given the Democrats something to talk about and giving them a cudgel to use against the Democrats I use against the Republicans on this. Now, none of that changes the the basic details of what's there or not there on Hillary Clinton's emails. It's clear to me that the testimony on the 22nd is going to be mainly about the emails. We certainly haven't heard any leaks or any indications that it's going to be about Benghazi in, in a lot of ways. There hasn't been anything about that in months and months and months. Uh, but we'll see. It'll be a political showdown, that is for sure, on October the 22nd. Well, some Clinton allies, it was in the political today see New Hampshire as a lost cause and we now had a, an article that came out today that Cheryl Mills at the State Department shared classified information with the Clinton Foundation. Now this goes to the heart of my argument. If they're able to recover the 33,000 emails she deleted and thought she wiped clean on that server and it's not about yoga, a funeral, a wedding and conversations with Oh, Phil. that could be disastrous if there's stuff on there. Absolutely. Now if it just turns out that she did delete just basic stuff then it doesn't go anywhere. But you're absolutely right. If they find stuff on there that uh, that should not have been deleted, it's a whole different ball game. On the Republican side, uh, Trump is now plotting his second act in a Washington Post piece. And uh, it's pretty interesting because he's now coming out and announced that he'll be coming out with television ads in Florida or the Florida media firm. That, and his wife and daughter will become surrogates and they'll be getting out on the campaign trail. 
And uh, the campaign is building an organization well beyond the early states. And Trump does not see the field winnowing for a while. And he says that he'll be more forceful in a third debate. And that sounds like he'll be more prepared. So it looks like he's looking to up his game here uh, as things have gotten a little bit tighter since the last debate. Yeah, and he's definitely not getting as much free media attention as he was uh, between the first and second debates. It's almost like since that second debate, things have calmed down and there's not as much sort of nonstop attention about him. That doesn't mean that he's going through the floor. He's going to suddenly roll over and not be the the leader. Uh, But, yeah, I I definitely think this is a slower period for him. Now, if he wants to get on the air and this article today in the Post sort of hinted that he's going to have a different type of of uh, of ad campaign I, I wonder if he's going to use humor and you know and, and sort of sarcasm to poke jabs at others that could if the ads are structured right be highly uh, uh, successful and get a, get him a lot more attention and get him a lot more in terms of a push for I, I think I would expect and anticipate that there was also an article that Marco Rubio may be winning the Koch brothers race in as much as they may put a billion dollars into this thing and put it behind Marco did you see that today you know, Rubio is, uh, well, certainly Rubio has not been here in D.C. Uh, he's been uh, out uh, out campaigning pretty much nonstop. And I think his people feel very good about where he is in the polls. I mean, yes, he's not knocking the socks off of things. He's not been able to get past uh, Carson and Trump in most of the polls. But he's right there. He reminds me of a, of a horse that stalks the leaders coming around the clubhouse turn and is there and ready to go. We'll see in, in the next debate if he can get that uh, lead foot going and get himself some more momentum. All right, no shortage of news out of Washington today. The one and only uh, Jamie Dupree, sir, thank you. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Sounds good, Sean. See you then.